Hey, 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 everybody. What's up? Welcome to another episode of A Power with Pops. Coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Uh, thank you for chiming in, checking it out, and uh, taking a listen. Uh, this week, I have someone I never would have... I, I don't know why it came about, but one day I was... Me and my friends were talking about bands and music and stuff like this, and these bands that came out that just kind of had this certain sound and 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 uh, kind of like hit like a certain group of people in, in such a way. And uh, I'm glad to have this gentleman here tonight with me. His name's Jeff Turley. Thank you for being here. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm pretty basic. I don't get too crazy. I'm not like one of those guys at the fest that ask you why you wrote a certain song. Um, <laughs> why did you write this mind. song? <laughs> no, no. But um, I kind of just like to start at the beginning. So where were you? Uh, where do you come from? Where, where were you born? Uh, I'm originally from a suburb of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, okay. um, called West Mifflin, um, which is about six miles outside of downtown Pittsburgh. And, uh, so close enough. Yeah. Yeah, I lived there, um, you know, and then, like I said, it was suburban. I mean, it, you know, had uh, at one point, I think it had the third largest mall in the in the world. Nice. <laughs> nice. To give you a sense of what the vibe there was like. Oh, yeah. So, that was the know, 80s, right? Uh, very much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the 80s. <laughs> and so my friends and I were definitely mall rats. We Tight. were, you know, hanging out in the woods and. You know, doing the things that suburban kids do and got into music real heavy, you know, obviously. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you know, and, you know, I was I wasn't a huge part of the Pittsburgh scene, I think, because of like just being a little more suburban. I mean, I was yeah. in bands with, you know, friends that I went to high school with. And then right. that started to grow as my circle started to grow and certainly went to see a lot of shows. Yeah. But I, you know, I think had I lived like closer to the downtown area, I probably would have got more involved in the actual Pittsburgh scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what was your... But, uh, uh, but I never... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, so I, you know, like right towards the end, right before I left, which I left for college. Um, okay. But uh, right before I left, I started to, you know, get involved in the scene a little bit and started to meet some more people, but... Um, you know, it wasn't until I went to college, which uh, I went to Berkeley School of Music yeah. in Boston. Um, so that was like, you know, that was a big change for me because then I, you know, was living in a new city and then yeah. kind of on my own. And, totally. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so what got you into music? What was your start? Did you grow up in a musical household? Was there, like music being played around? Like, was that was that your introduction, or did was this something you came across? you know, out with your friends and stuff? Like, what was your... I'd say probably the biggest influence on me was I had an older brother who was into music. Mm -hmm. um, and I think on top of that, my... Uh, well, my grandparents on my dad's side were into music, too. In fact, that's how they met when my... Oh, let's cool. see. I think it was in the 1930s. My grandfather was a guitar player. No and he was playing in, you know in bands around town okay. and they would play dances and that's how my grandmother met him like she wow. you know she would go see his band play so <laughs> it's it's funny how you know the music was different but it's still the same right. stuff you know <laughs> it's very going cyclical. on 
It's very cyclical. It, yeah, <laughs> totally. So, you know, and they have a lot of stories. Like she always talked about, you know, she'd love to go see him play. And he played in a band with this guy who was like the local musical genius. Like okay. this guy could play everything. Apparently he played piano. He played clarinet. He played, you know. Yeah. So everybody apparently took a shine to this guy, according to my grandmother. Like all the girls loved that guy because he was the star of the band. Uh, but my grandmother, you know, she liked my grandfather. She liked, he, the, she liked the guitar player sitting in the back. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. So fast forward to once my brother and I were, you know, born and little yeah. kids. Like she, my grandmother was filling our house with instruments for sure. Cool. Uh, you know, little t- toy pianos and drums and toy guitars and stuff. And um, so. And she played. Uh, she played the organ and piano. Wow! So many um, when she was. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So she. Uh, so when we would visit their house, which was every Sunday, we would go over, and sometimes during the week too. Um, my brother and I would just get on that organ all the time. You know, it was funny because I was little, um, yeah. so. I would be playing like the bass on the key on the floor keys. You know yeah. what I mean? If you've ever seen those organs oh, that yeah. have the keys on the floor, uh, my brother would play on the top, and it was one of those organs that had a drum machine built into it. All so, the buttons you know, on we, it. Oh my god, it was the greatest. Yeah, my yeah, granddad yeah, had one to... of those in his house, and it had like every like xylophone, saxophone, like all the crazy <laughs> yeah. instrument. Like, it, yeah, it was nuts. It was like a small orchestra that you could control pretty much. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny because they those sounds. I mean, it didn't sound like saxophone or strings. It no. was that you know that home consumer Hammond organ thing. It wasn't <laughs> yes, like the B exactly. three that people played. Yeah. But still, we had hours and hours. In fact, I'll never forget my father. At one point, he was like, "Hey, I got a name for your guys' band. You should call it Monotony." Oh no, no. <laughs> because we oh we loved it because we you know because yeah we would just get the drum machine going and we would just go on and on and on. And the greatest thing is that uh, it had a tape recorder built into it, too, so you could record yourself playing. Okay. So this, like, launched this whole thing for my brother and I, this, like, fantasy band that we had when we were, I guess I was probably, like, about nine or ten or something like that. Um, And uh, he, well, uh, so then my grandfather, you know, he stopped playing guitar um, once he kind of, you know, I think the reality of like having the family and yeah. you know, he just barely went like he got saved from going to world war two. Like he got drafted and then the war ended like within a, a week or something after Whoa. he got drafted. Wow. But you know, he lived through the depression and then like raising the family, like he kind of gave up the musician life yeah. and went to work in steel in the steel mills. Um, wow. That was a, you know, that was the big industry yeah. in Pittsburgh for many years uh hence like pittsburgh steelers where that name comes from and everything <laughs> yes. um so uh so anyway the guitar was always lying around in the house i mean he never took it out and played it but yeah. uh i always saw the case sitting in the corner and one of those afternoons because again you know having an old brother was great especially in that time in the late 70s early 80s what was which what, i still yeah what was well he? i was just gonna say i i, I still feel like that's my favorite music, even though I love okay. music from all eras yeah, yeah. and many, many genres. But still, the stuff that hits me the hardest are like, you know, classic rock, Led Zeppelin, ZZ Top, you know, Jimi yeah. Hendrix. And then 
Yeah, and then the Clash yeah. and the Talking Heads and B-52s and Diva. I mean, that was all the stuff that yeah. my brother was getting into, okay. which therefore I was getting into too. And of course, like, you know, the Van Halen and stuff like that, like we definitely got way into metal as that got popular, Jews Priest and oh, Iron yeah. Maiden and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that, that was all the groundwork. Um, okay. And I so I started messing around with my grandfather's guitar and then he showed me a couple of chords um, and it was funny. I don't know why. I guess it was because of our age. Like, I just got more into it. My brother started playing as well, but he was, you know, a little bit older. He started to get into girls. He was driving a car. Right. He was playing sports. Uh, and, you know, I was home alone a lot, <laughs> you know, especially because, like, I mean, you know, I was getting grounded a lot because, you know, I don't know, those days, like, smoking cigarettes and stuff like that. Oh, and my parents would gra- kids, ground huh? me. <laughs> yeah, I was. So I had a lot of time at home to think about what I had done with the guitar in my hand, watching mash reruns. As my guitar <laughs> gently weeps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, speaking of which, yeah, Beatles too, big time. But um, yeah, so that's kind of the foundation. And then, you know, uh, like I said, I got, I mean, you know, as music progressed. Yeah. You know, the kind of stuff we were into, you know, I mean, it just made sense that once like hardcore music came around. Yeah, that's what we were into. And, yeah. you know, find, finding an identity there and, what you know, your, like listening to hardcore bands that you were into. Well, it's funny because, like I said, I was I was a guitarist and I was really into guitar. So I yeah. was really into, like I said, like a lot of metal and, and Van Halen and stuff. So like. Even though, like, I love the Clash, I love, like, the early punk rock stuff, but once hardcore came around, like, it took me a minute, you know? Like, I think the first bands that I liked a lot were maybe DRI, which was already a little bit crossover. Yeah, the crossover and, was um, badass. Yeah, that that particularly, yeah. I used to and skateboard then, to that shit all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried to skateboard and fell a lot. <laughs> but, but, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, like GDH and Chromax and, yeah. you know, then of course, like it, it took a little while to come back around the black flag and figure out like, oh, okay, this all started a little bit earlier. Yeah. I mean, I would always see the ads for the black flag albums, right. but for some reason, again, like, especially like, you know, once Slayer and Metallica came out, like right. I, I was just so into metal. Dude, Rain that, and Blood? You know. Rain and Blood? Oh, God, yeah. That album is... Like, the like probably one of my favorite albums oh me too to this day it's oh. a life-changing thing oh. and, and changed music as we know it in a lot of ways you it's know crazy but, um, and even anthrax oh, was I, I should... that stuff up around that time too like i liked i liked Big a lot time. Of, anthrax was killing it too like those bands were just ridiculous they were just yeah yeah and it's you know it's weird too because you know like i think those bands also opened up the channels for a lot of, you know, hardcore bands to be known about too, yeah. you know, cause again, like being from suburban Pittsburgh, I mean, the bands would come through, but like, we didn't always, like I couldn't always even get a ride to see a right. show, let alone had any money to go see one. <laughs> right. um, you know what I mean? So like, I missed a lot of stuff like yeah. that was coming through dead Kennedy's and, uh, you know, black flag for sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, anyway, yeah. That was that was that, you know, I did get to see some big metal shows that also changed my life at that time and okay. you know. And and like I say at that time, 
Like I remember seeing Slayer and Motorhead together. That was a great bill. Wow. You know, they yes. kind of mixed it up. That's my um, shit, Motorhead. <laughs> oh, yeah, so eat, good. Eat the rich. Rest in peace. <laughs> yes. But uh, no, um, so this is like around middle school, high school that you're picking up the guitar. You're teaching yourself, I'm guessing. Are you a natural? I'm, I'm guessing from what I've read about you and what you're doing now, and you seem to be a, a musician's musician, um, someone who probably, it was probably natural, came to you, and like you just kind of taught yourself just from being around, watching your grandfather playing the organ, listening to music. Was it self-taught, or did you take classes, or how that come Well, about? you know, it, it's funny because I, you know, at the same time that I was teaching myself guitar, um, I was in the school band. Um, okay. So I, you know, I, uh, again, that was sort of led by my brother. Like he played trumpet uh, in the school band and then marching band. And it was funny at the time, like, I Those don't know. It's, well, I shouldn't even say, yeah, that's what I was just going to say. And, I, you know, I'll get into it later, but I, I did end up teaching high school for a little while too, high school music. I have a degree in music education. Yeah. And it's funny, like, you know, school band music is pretty corny generally. Yeah. But still, the kids that are in the music, you know, join the band and they do it. You know, like when I was teaching, a lot of my students loved, like, you know, corn and, and um, right. you know, like yeah. that, that whole genre was really big then, like right after Stopbox is around the time that I did it. Um, and, uh, so, you know, and that's the way it was back then, too. Like, my all my brother's friends in band loved Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. And, you know, uh, and I was like, wow, that's cool. I'm going to do that, too. So, <laughs> like I said, I, I was playing guitar on my own on the side yeah. uh, and playing saxophone in the band. So I did sort of have, like, I was, I was learning music for real, but I wasn't connecting it. And then... Right. What was a huge influence on me was a particular teacher. Um, my last two years of high school, uh, the guy who ran the music department at the school I went to, his name was Vito, is Vito DeSalvo. He's still around and making music. Wow. Uh, he doesn't teach anymore. But um, he started, to my knowledge, the first ever uh, computer music class in a high school in oh, wow. the United States. Um, I, I could be wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure he might have had the first one. So this was 1986, yep. I think was the first year, 86 or 87. Um, Sounds like the Apple And years. we had Max. <laughs> I, I was just going to say that. We had Max. Yep. We had uh, Roland uh, 808 drum machines. Yeah. Um, we had Oberheim synths and Akai samplers. Holy shit. And only a couple but you only needed a couple because the classes were small. Like I think, right. you know, it was an elective uh, and there might've been like 10 people in the class each year. So we just like took turns. We had like groups and we would have workstations and, and it's wild because that's still the knowledge that I use today for that. I used for years at my gig at blue man. And that I use with my job today yeah. is, you know, programming music um, and, you know, and recording and stuff like that too. We didn't do as much recording because he didn't have a full-blown studio right. uh, in the in the high school, but he bought this gear, you know. So Damn. it like definitely laid the foundation. <laughs> yeah, and you know the deal was he, this guy was amazing. I mean, he was uh, a first-generation Italian American. He played 
plays, I should say, uh, the accordion, accordion, amazingly, and piano. Cool. Um, I, but he was he was the orchestra teacher, so I, because I didn't play violin or something like that, I really didn't have any exposure to him until my last two years when that elective came about. Um, uh-huh. And then, like I say, he changed my life because once I graduated high school, he hired me to work for his band. So that was the whole thing. He had a wedding, like, GB band. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> oh, man, it was the coolest thing for what they were doing because they were three guys. They were called B3. Yeah. And That's it was cool. him. Yeah, it was him, a drummer, and this guy who sang and played soprano saxophone. But, see, and it makes sense how he got into the computer music because he had an accordion that was a Farfisa accordion. I don't know if you've ever heard of like the Farfisa organs. That's what like a lot of this, you know, pretty popular, like, right. You know, alternate, uh, alternative to the Hammond organ back in the day in the sixties and seventies. Right. Right. Um, but has its own sound. In fact, a lot of ska bands use them. Um, okay. I got the sound. Yeah. Yeah. I see it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not quite so like, you know, either jazzy or soul sounding like a, uh, you know, like the B3 sounded, but a little bit different sound. Anyway, they made a, uh, this like attachment for an accordion. Um, not any accordion. You had to buy their specific accordion that would drive it, but then you could play all these different sounds with the accordion as your controller. So it, you had the organ sound, you had a bass sound. That was pretty much like the bass organ sound, but that was enough. And then you could also play like string sounds. And then it had one other sound. It was probably like we were talking about with my grandmother's organ, like some fake trumpet sound or right. something. I can't remember right. what the other one is. So they, as a trio, could sound like a big band with just him playing bass lines, miking the accordion so you had the real accordion sound. Plus he would be like, you know, layering in the string sounds and stuff. Right. Um and then just the guy playing drums and the other guy playing sax and singing. And, you know, they totally played like weddings and parties. And and then when the computer thing came out, the MIDI thing, M-I-D-I, uh, he got into that. And, you know, that's so that's that sort of paved the road for him, like thinking like, wow, we can do current songs now and really sound like the songs. And that's what he hired me to do initially was oh, once cool. I graduated high school he was like, hey, come and learn these Gap Band and Rick Astley songs, like whatever was popular on the radio at the time. You know, he would have me basically figure out and program. And then the I would band. go on gigs with him and I'd set up the Mac and I'd set up the keyboards and That's stuff. Awesome. And then I ended up started running sound for him with another guy who was a student in the program. I mean, it was great. It totally wow. it made me realize like, wow, this something here could be a career because up until that point like i had the dreams of being a rock star like i'd sit there as a little kid (laughs) looking up at my brother's led zeppelin posters you know what i mean just be like oh my god like jimmy page is the coolest that's what i want to be when i grow up like i can't wait to wear bell bottoms (laughs) (laughs) yeah give me the dragon bell bottoms um but i had no idea like how that was possible i really didn't think it would even be possible but then working with Vito out out just right out of high school and all of a sudden making some money, you know, I was like, Hey, this could be something, There's you something know, there. That's yeah. That, that's, so... that D, that's that DIY mindset. I think that a lot of artists and musicians have. And, and you kind of need to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like you, there was, you, you saw the work, he saw something in you because you were an artist 
and like serendipitous it, it, it turned into this other thing you know which is a, a story that I hear a lot from everybody that I've interviewed like you know it, it seems I, I wish I wish my high school music teachers were that cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's you know it's well I mean and I hope that I hope the kids today are still having that experience and I think they are. Yeah. You know because I mean it's easy to feel like oh today the only way you can get big is if you're on The Voice or American Idol or something right. like that and it's just you know and I mean that's one path for people for sure but that's you know it's it's a different path you know um but i think it's a different kind of person too oh totally probably wants that path so tell me about your um how you ended up becoming or how Stompbox came about like how'd this come about uh so i said i was working for veto and then um you know my parents were putting the hard press on me to go to college um (laughs) that's good and uh (laughs) <laughs> yeah, which was um, I'm so thankful that they did honestly because I wouldn't have ended up in Boston if I you know if they hadn't. Right. Um, so that that was the thing. Like they they had been saving for it, and you know they were I, I don't know. I mentioned my mom was a nurse, my dad was a school teacher himself. Um, okay. So uh, he was a biology teacher. Wow. And um, but they had been you know saving their whole lives. They both went to college. My mom put herself through college when I was a little kid. While she was working, that was like kind of wow. mind blowing. Um, and then she ended up like gr- uh, graduating at the top of her class, which again was like, especially in retrospect, so sick because she, yeah. you know, she's raising two little kids and working as a nurse night turn. Yeah. So she would, you know, and then go to school in the evenings and still like take care of the family. And, you know, I mean, my dad was obviously pulling, you know, his weight in a big way, but. But yeah, so they, you know, they both knew, like, you know, at least at that time, like, yeah, you you got to go to college, no matter what you want to do, you're, you're gonna, not, you're not doing you know, this, be shit, able to... is what they're saying. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, especially for like a, a teenager who really didn't know, you know like, I, I had the drive to play music, but I didn't have the business sense of how to make it happen at all. Um, right. So anyway, they had been saving they were, you know, where do you want to go? You want to go somewhere local, Penn State, Pitt? And I was like, oh, man, I I remember reading, because, again, don't forget, I was, like, way in the metal. And right. uh, around that time, David Lee Roth left Van Halen, oh, and Steve that. Vai became his guitar yeah. uh, guitarist. And Steve Vai famously went to Berkeley. Um, I remember reading that in Guitar Magazine, Guitar Player Magazine, something like that. And I was like, well... If that guy went there, look, he's famous and doing it. Like yeah. then, that must be the place to go and be able to do that. He was, um, he was going crazy was... from the heat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh man! Uh, Throwback. <laughs> I talked my parents into it. Yeah. And, and I didn't know anything about Berkeley really. It just really? like it was all this like fan- fantasy that I concocted in my head just from reading what he said about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got there, it was crazy. Like. Uh, I didn't, like I said, I didn't really know anything about it. I didn't know about its history as a jazz school. Right. So when I got there, it wasn't, it wasn't like all of a sudden I was confronted with like, hey, this isn't what I was expecting because, you know, there were, 
999 other guys exactly <laughs> like me right. who were guitar players. Like that was like this huge explosion of these like shredding guitar players. Yeah. Um, that period, like late eighties. Yeah. Um, who, you know, I'm sure all the people that went to Berkeley who really wanted to st- study jazz were just like, what is going on with all of these <laughs> long haired white dudes showing up What's here? What's up you know with what the I mean? doodlers? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With all the pointy guitars, you know, I mean, it was hilarious. Um, but, uh, so, so happened that the bass player from Stompbox, Pat Gleason, and Eric, the singer, had gone to Berkeley. They're both a little bit older than me. So okay. um, Eric, Eric had already either graduated or dropped out. I don't remember if he finished. And, um, and same with Pat. But Pat was working in the Berkeley bookstore for his day job. Those guys were already in, like, sort of the prototype band that Stompbox became, um, which at the time was called Built Spear. Huh. <laughs> uh, and they had, um, yeah, this other guitar player uh, and drummer. And, you know, they were just sort of like uh, kicking it in the Boston scene, just like, you know, writing some songs and figuring it out. Um, so anyway, I I got to Berkeley. I Like I said, there were so many just ridiculous guitar players there that it became... You know, I became aware right away that, like, okay, so (laughs) be able to compete with this. And do I even necessarily want to? Uh, Because look at these guys. Right. (laughs) And, and, you know, and it's important to note, though, that at the same time, I had heard Mud Honey. Yeah. And got, and and then I started to become aware of the Seattle thing that was coming about right around that time and i was like holy shit like this this is changing my life again like now the metal seems sort of silly um once you hear that first mud honey record you know what i mean and then and then heard the first you know nirvana uh singles and then bleach and then soundgarden and you know uh, there was other cool stuff how about like quicksand and orange nine millimeter and those guys out of new york yeah, well, that came a little later for me. Yeah. That was once we were already in Stompbox by the yeah. time I heard those guys. Um, and then, you know, I should note that there were other hardcore bands that I was still way into, like, yeah. you know, Bad Brains and stuff. Oh, um, yeah. And, I'm trying to get you know, HR on here. Oh, <laughs> uh, that would be amazing. Yeah. That's gonna, <laughs> hey, it's, did you it's, watch the documentary? I mean, it's yes, track, it's, but, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I've been working on it for Incredible. three years, so... <laughs> oh, man, good luck. Well, Thank hey, you. quick aside for a bad brain story. Yeah. Um, the, uh, so Dr. No and Daryl, I don't know if they still do, but uh, they used to live in Woodstock, New York, and around that area. Yeah, and yeah. Um, that's where we recorded the Stompbox record oh, wow. at a studio there called Bearsville, um, which old, famous studio. Well, not super old from the 50s, but 70s. It was yeah. built by Todd Rundgren. And uh, a lot of a lot of huge records from the '70s were recorded there and beyond. Um, so we were up there making the Stompbox record, and we uh, had a caterer, this uh, white dreadlock woman. Um, man, I can't remember her name now. But anyway, uh, we're just being the nerds that we were, talking about music every day while we were eating. And one day, either one of us was wearing a shirt, or somebody talked about Bad Branch and. She was like, oh, you know, we're probably talking about because that was around the time when HR wasn't in the band. Right. And 
you know, there was a lot of talk about that. And uh, she was like, oh, Bad Brains, you guys like the Bad Brains? We were like, yeah. She's like, well, my husband plays in a reggae band with them in town. Like, we should have him over for fish some night. <laughs> we were like, what? what? Uh, and then sure enough, like, a couple nights later, she shows up for dinner with H, I mean, uh, with uh, Dr. Doe and Daryl and their families and their kids. What? And, like, we hung out with them for the night. It was insane. I mean, wow. just insane to be with them. Not that we got so crazy. Like I said, they had their kids with them. Right. But, um, that's nuts. You know, that's, a, that's a crazy, uh, that's a crazy, like, serendipitous thing, like, right there. Like, that's. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were such fanboys. I mean, it was ridiculous. Uh, I, I mean, I was so just. <laughs> <laughs> to be sitting there having dinner with them but it was but they were super chill and so cool yeah and so happy to talk about everything and then we ended up playing a couple of shows with them too after that which wow. was really nice for them that's crazy they invite us along so um yeah so the stomp boxing uh, like you guys like when you you went through your you did your recording and wh what record label did that come out on columbia which was uh owned by sony well, I guess it probably still is owned by Sony. So um, how did that? It, how did that work out? Well, basically, we got the deal. Again, like talking like early '90s. Like I think I got in the band around maybe 1990, 91, and then we got Zeph, the drummer, in the band not long after I got in, maybe like six months or something like that, um, and. You know, we were playing around town, writing songs, and, you know, just realizing, like, okay, I, you know, nothing, I, well, we were just, like, really eager to yeah. do something, right? Um, but didn't know how, and it was really just like, well, we just have to do like our heroes did. Like, we had, you know, we were fans of Henry Rollins, and we were fans of the Minutemen, and we were just like, well, hell yeah, what do we do? We got to go on tour. We got to book our own tour. We have to get out and just try to create a groundswell around ourselves or something. I yeah. don't know. We didn't, we had no idea what we were doing, but that was basically what we did. Like we started playing as much as we could regionally, like yeah. driving up to New Hampshire and driving up to Maine and up to Burlington, Vermont. I'm from New Hampshire. Providence, Rhode so. Island. Oh, you are cool. Yeah. I'm from, um, Man yeah, I'm from Manchester played. originally. And I actually lived in Boston for a couple of years before my mom brought me down to Florida. I didn't, not by choice. Oh, nice. <laughs> not by choice. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's, you know? yeah. um, the schools aren't. <laughs> <laughs> well, we played, uh, we played Nashua a bunch. I feel like we probably played somewhere in, in Manchester too. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and then we eventually, you know, we wanted to, you know, tour the country and, and we did. So we booked our own tour and that very first tour you know, started with a show in New York City for um, CMJ Festival. Okay. Um, College Music Journal. Yeah, yeah, they I had remember like a, You know, um, so we had like a quote showcase show. Um, and, you know, like I don't even remember there being many people there. Yeah. But, you know, and again, remember, this is like early 90s, like pre-cell phone days. Like yeah. everything was done on a pay phone. And, <laughs> yes. You know, Book your had own to life. use maps. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I was in touch with this woman who saw us at that show and was interested in working with us. And she had worked with some other good friends of ours. 
um, this band that was called Orangutan. Okay. Um, and uh, they were a Boston band. Also, they were uh, they weren't as metal as Stompbox was. Uh, a little more poppy, but they were still pretty heavy hard rock band. Okay. And those guys are still great friends of mine. In fact, I play in a surf rock band with two of them still to this day. What's the name um, of that one? Uh, that's called The Cameraman. Okay, yeah, I saw and, some things uh, on your page about that. I'm going to check that out. Yeah, yeah, check it out. The Cameraman. I play bass in that band, awesome. um, and it's the uh, the main guy. His name's Chris Dias. Uh, he was the singer and main writer for Orangutan, and then the drummer's Todd Perlmutter. And that's funny. Those guys, they've been, like I said, in my life ever since those early Boston days. I wow. worked at Blue Man Group with them. Um, and yeah, we're still, we're still doing it. Anyways, they had just started working with this woman and, uh, she was working on getting them a deal, uh, a record deal. And so, you know, whatever, we took her card and then we went off on the road and proceeded to play to almost nobody every night. Did you do a a full U.S. kind of thing? Like in the van going across the country kind of thing or... Yeah, we had a van that was, so this was 1990, I this had been two maybe, okay. and our van was, I think I remember it was a 1981 Chevy, <laughs> um, and it was like a minute, it was like a short van too. The like three quarters. Like, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I've it, toured it in one of those. Like the, <laughs> yeah, it was like the mystery machine from yep. Scooby-Doo. It was just like small... <laughs> And, um, and the hilarious thing, so, you know, of course, like we, you know, we hit all of our family's houses. Well, Zeph is from Plymouth, Massachusetts. So we almost kind of left from there. And then Pittsburgh, in terms of our families and where we're all from, that was the first like family stop where we could like finally like sleep somewhere and have a shower and we weren't sleeping on someone's floor or, or in the van. And then, um, and of course, like my mom and dad loaded us up with all kinds of like food and canned stuff, you know, and then Pat, the bass player is from Toledo, Ohio. So that was the next stop. So we got even more canned food from his mom. And, uh, and the van was already hurting by the time we left. Uh, so we're playing and you know, dealing with the van breaking down almost every day, this problem after that problem. And then finally, like it died when we were in Minnesota and it was like, I feel like it was probably November or December. It was freezing. And we spent some nights, like, you know, broken down on the side of the road, like all huddled up together like Eskimos, like sleeping, you know, in the back. And, you know, um, (laughs) we had to get towed to the gas station uh, when the plan finally died, and they told us, like, the transmission was – well, it was the the standard, so – I forget exactly what was wrong with it that killed it, but yeah. I think we blew a piston is what it was, <laughs> something like that. It's done. Anyway, I did that on tour once, too. <laughs> right? It's sort of like the rite of passage, I yeah. guess. You you got to um, eat the biggest shit in, a, in the oldest van on tour, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or you're not living. <laughs> no, not living. So we, we totally lucked out. Like, we're standing there completely dejected and depressed. Oh, wow. Uh, at this gas station in the snow. And <laughs> this dude pulls up in this Van Auer van, <laughs> this old Dodge that was literally, like, the back quarter panels were, like, duct taped and painted. <laughs> but uh, he was like, hey, you guys in the band? You know, like, what's going on? And, uh, and he was, like, you know, some long-haired older guy. And we told him our sad story, and he was like, 
you know what? I'll sell you this van if you want. And why don't you guys come to my house and get a hot meal? And we were like, holy shit, I can't believe this is happening. Damn. The kindness of strangers, right? Right. Um, so we, you know, called our parents and they wired us money and he sold us a band for like, I forget, like a couple hundred bucks or something like that. And that proceeded to get us through the rest of the tour. And, you know, that was the first tour. And like I said, most of the nights we would play to like the sound guy and the bartender, but we would be like, make them love us. And they're going to be talking about us for weeks. You know what I mean? Like we were playing as it to them. Yeah. As if we were playing a stadium show, you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, we, most of the time they hated which us. Which they all do, right? <laughs> which we all do. Yeah. We all yeah, did exactly. it. It's like you're in front of five people and like, this is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You're never going to forget us. Nope. And meanwhile, we're like, oh, and if anyone has space on their floor tonight. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, but you know, there was always, you know, like just enough like you'd have one or two a week where there would be maybe 40 or 50 people and then they would buy some tapes or or seven inches which we had to sell uh or t-shirts and um to get to keep your spirits high you know what i mean um but anyway geez long story long uh by the time we got to la so we had kept calling that woman manager yeah and uh by the time we got to la set up a meeting with a lawyer for us um and uh an entertainment attorney who was an old school guy this guy named brian rohan who um well i mean people are interested they can look him up but he was pretty instrumental in like you know support for artists in the 60s when like payola scandals and shit like that was going on so he was like a connected guy um you know also, by the time we got to L.A., we were really sick of each other and hating each other a lot. And just, you know, again, like we had these just, you know, misconceptions about all of it. Like yeah. and we could we got to L.A. We thought L.A. would be good, like have good shows. And, yeah. and it was even worse than we could have imagined. We played like, like at like 3 a.m. to nobody. Record you know, I wish we had known about that. That's what we should have been doing. But yeah, instead man. we were playing clubs. And it was bullshit. Yeah, um, the record stores in so, the 90s were the shit. Like, Rockin' Rex up in Yonkers, New York. Like, so many great bands played at that place. Like, there's so many killer, like, record stores around the country that I was, at, like, oddly lucky enough to be a part of these crazy shows through the 90s that I saw. And it's like... When we, and I always saw, like, you are talking about clubs. Like, I was touring with a band at the time and they're still around now. They're still killing it 30 years later, you know? Nice. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's one of those things you, you know, when you're going on tour and you're, you're seeing what really it is to be on tour and how difficult it really was back in the nineties. It wasn't like what a, what anybody nowadays would probably deal with as a musician. They wouldn't do these kind of tours. You know what I mean? I think I think you're right. I mean, or at least you'd have second thoughts. Well, I guess it depends on you know what your expectations are. Yeah. You know, um, because I know bands do still do it. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm sure it's. I mean, yeah, it was a different time for it's sure. You know, time. like it would be even just having a uh, an iPhone now would make it so much different. You know, right. imagining that you time in the van. <laughs> Right, you wouldn't you know, be talking like, to anybody at all. 
Yeah, exactly. No one would yeah, be arguing because still... everybody would be watching their own TikTok videos and stuff, you know. Like... <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> so... and sharing stuff and connected with all your friends and yeah. family and the whole world, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's got to be a lot better now. So L.A., um, you get to anyway, L.A., and you, you did you end up hooking up with this lady? Yeah, well, not the lady, but we hooked up with the guy, the lawyer, and then canceled the rest of the tour because we had basically booked ourselves like a circle around the U.S., um, and we did the northern part and the west coast. And then, you know, we were kind of like done and didn't really want to do another week of not making any money. That was everything, too. We weren't making any money. And we obviously didn't have tour support. And, yeah. you know, um, so we just drove straight home. And then they started, you know, planning showcases and meetings for us. And huh. the important thing to note is that uh, Anna had just around that time Nevermind came out yeah. and that caused the massive feeding frenzy of record labels who realized like oh people don't like hair metal anymore and people right. you know like they, they want to buy this stuff like these like scruffy DIY bands you know what I mean like mm -hmm. so let's sign every one of them that we can and that's why there was a, a huge explosion of bands just like us that all got like major label deals or what were major label deals disguised as indie deals, little yeah. subsidiaries and, you know, excuse me. So, um, yeah, so that's basically what happened. I mean, we, you know, we had, uh, we had some meetings and like Columbia was, you what know, was that? What were those meetings? Just out of curiosity. Cause like I have a few, like I knew some bands that, you know, got like Jimmy world. They got a, you know, they got a good hit like off of their first album like capital or something you know and i was always curious to know like because what was it like to be a band that was on the road touring you know you're you're all musical guys from uh music school you want to play music what was it like having that introduction into that world of like the corporate record label industry like what was that like well on one level, it was it was the dream come true, you know, especially like we were so like Miles Davis was on Columbia Records, you right. know what I mean? Like we, you know, one of the days that we were in the office, we met Steve Cropper from Booker T and the MGs Holy and the shit. Blues Brothers band, you wow. know what I mean? Like those, those people were just around, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it was like, holy shit, we're on this level now. That's amazing. Right. Um, but at the same time. You know, like the bands that we admired were Fugazi. You right. know what I mean? Like we, like that's. So we were kind of like, uh, you know, in like Amrep bands and stuff like that. And Helmet, we loved Helmet. Of course, oh. they got signed right before us. Helmet, man. And Melvin. Shit. I saw them with yeah, Faith No like, More in Tampa in front of, with fifteen hundred people. Oh yeah. Well, that was another life changing one for me too. Like I, the first time I saw them was with the Melvins in Boston, and yeah. they, it was a really small club. It might have been like 150 people or Holy something like shit. that. And uh, you know, it was yeah, obviously hugely influential <laughs> on us because uh, we ended up sounding kind of like them. Yeah, but um, I don't think you know, so. But uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, the riffs. I couldn't. You know, we loved what they were doing with the riffs and just the approach you know right. i mean I think exactly find our own thing a little bit it, it's but that, um, their style i in your style i felt was very um uh, what's the word it was it wasn't 
it was like you were playing forward, but you were holding back a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I mean, it, you know, that's the like thing. How like how you I do think... it, like time changes and stuff, and like cut it off and like mix it up. Like you would, it seemed like it was gonna go fast, and then you would pull back. You know, like there was this cool groove to it. You know. Well, that yeah, that was a big part of it. The the groove thing for sure. Um, and I especially like I, I really loved their first EP when they had uh, I forget the guy's name, uh, but the other guitar player, right? Who really kind of brought the noise and chaos to the band. Right. You know, I loved it. I love that version of it. But then, yeah, like the really auto riffs were awesome. But then, you know, like we're you know the weird thing about Stompbox, like we loved all the noisy stuff, but you know we also all really love. Like pop, you know, pop rock, like power yeah. pop kind of stuff. I mean, all kind. Of, I mean, we loved all the Boston, you know, Pixies and Buffalo Tom and throwing muses and right. you know all of that stuff. So yeah. it's like it all kind of made its way, I think, into what we were writing. Where there was, we thought a lot about like light and shade and tension and release when we were writing songs. It was like if we had a a choppy riff, it was like, well, you, know, you don't want to. At least we didn't want to follow that with another choppy riff necessarily. Right. Like it's time to follow with some like open pretty chords maybe, you yeah. know, but distorted, maybe they won't sound so pretty. And then of course, Eric, the singer was like, he was the X factor wild card. His sort, voice, sort of thing man. That's like... <laughs> His voice. Yeah. He's brutal. He's got a crazy voice. It's yeah. him. Okay. These two of my favorite singers are him and the singer from clutch. Like, oh yeah, I love Clutch. Yeah, yep. like guy, you, sh- you should listen to my interview with the my the guitarist from Clutch. I, d- I interviewed Tim Tim from Clutch. So. Oh yeah, yeah, Tim Salt, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, great, yeah. Inter- great interview. Uh, cool. Yeah, I will check that out. Yeah, I love those guys. And actually, you know, Stompbox never got to play with them because we broke up before we had a chance. Oh. But. Um, that would have been a I killer did, show. <laughs> yeah, I did play a show with them, uh, opening for them in a band that Zeph and I were in after Stompbox. We were in a band for a little while called Drug War. Really? Um, and, uh, yeah, we played a, a show with Clutch in Boston. But, um, yeah, those guys are awesome. I, I really always admired what they did. Um, anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, oh. so the major label thing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's... So, you know, while basically... It was a huge learning experience, and, you know, we wanted to continue to be DIY and control everything, right. and, you know, I think, I mean, you know, whatever, hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, you know, right. I don't think that we wanted to be controlled by them, right. and, because basically, like, you know, I mean, there are, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of very passionate people that work for major labels that oh, work totally. in the music business yeah. and true true music fans with good taste. Um, but also, you see people that are just phoning it in too. And they, and they might only be phoning it in for your project because they like something else. And that was the thing that was like the eye-opener. Like, when we got signed to Columbia, we realized, like, okay, like you have your A&R person, and it's their job to convince everyone else that works there that you're worth working on. Right. So basically, our person, ours at the time, was this woman who we loved named Mary, who, yeah, she would go down to the press department and be like, okay, 
what do you got lined up for my boys, you know? And yeah. meanwhile, at Columbia at the time, they were, uh, Soul Asylum was maybe one of their biggest bands. They also yeah. had Mercury Rev. I'm trying to think who all the alternative bands are. Oh, and then they had just, like, absorbed um, uh, Earache Records, I think. So they had all oh, this, shit. like, really heavy, heavy metal stuff, yeah. you know, that we weren't really identifying with either. Um, so, you know, if you picture yourself, like, say you're, like, the radio promo person there. Yeah. You, today, you've got all of these potential things you can work on, but you have all of these A&R people come to you and be like, What'd you do for uh, Cathedral today? Come on, you got to get Cathedral some some press. What are you waiting for? You know, or maybe you're having lunch with that person and you want to work more for Soul Asylum because you like their your friend is their right. represent. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's <clears throat> that's really how it works. So what happened with us was for some goddamn reason, like that manager woman who we signed with, who basically got us in the door. She didn't get along with Mary, our A&R person, mm. and they did not even have, like, a good, like, negative working relationship, you know what I mean? Which yeah. can exist, like, if, you know, yeah. like, you can have one of those good hate relationships oh, where, yeah. like, you piss each other off, for the but you're still both doing good stuff for the yeah. benefit of the band, exactly. They didn't have that. This, it got ugly, and, um, and the A&R person... She was kind of like a instant success, and she got wooed away from Columbia to go oh. work for Maverick Records. Maverick. And this was uh, right after we finished our record, but it wasn't out yet. Yeah. So um, as soon as she was gone, have a representative at the label anymore, and then they threw us with some older guy who really I don't think cared about us or right. didn't get it, or or he resented our manager who we promptly fired but it didn't matter right um so what that looked like when we were out actually touring was you know like we you know well first of all we were turning down that they wanted to put us on because we didn't think they were right for us you right. know like you know they had suggested some like real sort of extreme metal things that we just kind of like we wanted to be more in that world of like the melvins and jesus lizard and stuff like that right um and uh so we were turning down that stuff and adamant that we wanted to continue to book our own tours and we weren't really getting a lot of support for it um hmm. but it wasn't all bad like we you know we did get an advance making the record with sylvia massey was incredible even though it was a lot longer than i i think it should have taken but <laughs> she was really awesome to work with right but you could just see like you know if we had just like thrown up our hands and said, yes, that's what you want. We might've gotten really big at the time and it would have been fine, but you know, maybe we wouldn't have been who we wanted to be necessarily. Um, yeah. But, uh, but when we were on the road, so, you know, we were still kind of like eating shit here and there, but then we got, you know, we, we ended up getting new management and they helped get us on a couple tours that were, more like what we wanted to do. Um, for instance, we did like three weeks with Caius, and that was amazing. Because nice. um, we were like huge, huge fans of those guys. So yeah. to be with them every day was just like also hilarious, you know, because we were just <laughs> such dorks about it. You know, like we, yeah. would, we would listen to their album during the albums, like, you know, Blues for the Red Sun at Sky Valley. We'd listen to it in the van on the way to the show like we were kids going to a concert, <laughs> you know. And then like, you know, and then see them there. 
hang out with them afterwards. Yeah. And then they go, all right, guys, see you in Cleveland. And then put the tape on again when we got back in the band before the next, you know. Did you ever so admit that to silly. them? Did you, did you ever admit that to them? Uh, I might have eventually. Um, yeah, those guys, those guys know we love them a lot. Oh, I'm sure they do. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but we would, you know, it's funny in terms of the support, like, the shows continued to be like, ah, so, so like, you know, we were getting a little bit of promotion here and there. So some shows, especially the weekends would be good. And then it'd be a little thin during the week. Right. And then all of a sudden our video, we made a video and it got showed on MTV. Yes. And like the first time it ever got showed, like the next handful of sh shows were like packed, like sold out. And we yeah. were like, holy fuck, this is how it I happens. Think, I, and think then, I, I think they played you guys on 120 minutes the first time I saw you guys. Yeah, that that could be. With yeah, Matt I know Penfield. we guys played. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think that was like it was like midnight, and I was it was like a Saturday night, or some, whenever I think it was Sunday night when 120 minutes came on, and then that video came on, and then I saw could I started talking to all my boys in Sarasota. I was like, y'all need to hear this shit, <laughs> you know, and then everybody down here was like, holy shit, you know, like me and my friends were just like, yeah, like it was, we, you guys really, uh, like I said, you were one of those bands, you know, uh, you know, it's funny cause you, you, you know, you talk about Fugazi and those bands, those bands are to me, you know, what we all feel about them. And I mean, I think it's all, you know, we all have the same feel about that. And like your music, when you guys came out, they was like, to me, you captured something, and it was of the time. The music was freaking badass, you know. Like, uh, it thank was, you. It was thank strong. It, it had a, you know, like you guys, and the groove thing. And I mean, I, and I love my favorite part is like the explanation of you guys on the record label or on the record. Like you had this long drawn out thing. Like Stompbox is an amalgamation of this and that and like you had an explanation on the record you know like you pretty much said what your favorite bands were you know like and yeah <laughs> and, it, and like everybody could connect to it because it was real you know and it and it came across that way a hundred percent and it was uh it was an amazing thing for me and my friends because we you know like we'd all hang out and just be like holy shit this is we need to do this you know like you know, like you guys, you know, ha had an influence on a generation, you know, in multiple generations, you know, you had influence on me. I'm an older generation. I'm 51, you know, like, you know, like, that's, you guys amazing. Came out, that's, was, that's amazing to hear, you know, like you guys were, you know, I was, was like 25 when you guys come out. So I was like, holy shit, you know, like it was amazing shit. And as you know, and I'm, I'm stoked that I got a chance to ever come across you guys and and as the Stompbox stuff ended up uh as i've read in a bunch of stuff you you got into uh the blue man group or you started the blue man group is that right or is it... uh no i didn't start it but yeah i got recruited to work for them um like i said before from my buddies uh chris and todd yeah uh who 
similar with us. I mentioned before they were in that band Orangutan. They right. went through almost the same story as Stompbox, where they put out a record uh, on a big indie, not a major. Um, and then one thing happened after another, and it kind of fell apart. And then they did other bands and were looking for things to do. And Blue Man Group showed up in Boston. And, um, and I remember Todd calling me up, uh, you know, randomly one day and just like, Hey man, what are you doing with your life? You should come down and see Blue Man Group, you know? Right. And he's kind of like that. He's like hilarious sort of, you know, rock and roll salesman kind of guy, right. you know? Um, and, uh, you know, come down and make your dreams come true. You right. got it. Uh, so, and, uh, I was like, and I heard of him and I, you know, I'm, I'm not like a musical theater not i wasn't especially at that time right um and uh and i sort of you know i kind of like was aware of it but didn't know what it was and i was like yeah i heard it's like performance art and messy like i'm not gonna go to this thing if i go and especially knowing this guy yeah. like i'm gonna go down there <laughs> and i'm gonna end up standing on stage with a pie in my face or something you know what <laughs> right, i mean like there's right. no way no way i'm gonna go check this out this couldn't possibly be cool um and then he you know like a few weeks later like called me basically begging like look we need you we need somebody uh we're having a problem casting this position because you know there's two factions one wants somebody and Right. One wants another person, and I just want to bring you in and just settle the conversation. So right. just come down. You're going to love the show. I promise you you'll love the show. Come down, check it out, and then we can audition. And um, I was like, all right, fine. And then he was absolutely right. I was blown away. I loved every second of it right? because it was like the music was weird, but it was still like rock yeah, uh, and, hev and heavy, but still it had this whole other kind of like, wave and experimental aspect to it plus so. it was also like tribal and spaghetti western i mean it was hitting yeah. me all on the right spot you know <laughs> yeah um and and i couldn't tell who was even doing what because the band was like in the dark painted with glow-in-the-dark makeup to look like they were tribal and you couldn't tell what instruments they were even playing other than the drummer right um and and then the show was hilarious like i honestly for the years I worked for Blue Man for 20 years and I still laughed at bits that I wrote and not that I thought I was so great but I mean that I had a part in creating the stuff that I saw a billion times directing that I saw the first time I went it was still funny to me I mean it really held up to me like yeah. I, I and then I would say the, the best part about it was from someone you know like so you know after Stopbox I mean I was like flailing about working all kinds of jobs and right. record stores and you know, like I tried teaching, as I mentioned, for a little while. Yeah. That wasn't really hitting it for me either. And <laughs> I, you know, and then when I got the Blue Man gig, I was like shocked that like everybody that worked there was cool. Yeah. You know, like they were like, because most of the people like on the crew and stuff, like they, they had other stuff going on. They were artists, they were painters and, right. you know, or people making music. They were doing all kinds of artistic things. And I realized how narrow my scope had been mm. at, up until that point you know uh -huh. where i was just sort of like oh i'm just a rocker dude and uh, i don't know what was me i don't know and all of a sudden it just like really kind of opened my eyes to like possibilities and just uh groups of people and all of it i mean not to say that i wasn't part of an artistic scene i mean that was a cool thing about stompbox was that you know eric lived in lofts throughout that whole time with 
people that were going to right. Mass Art and the Museum School in Boston. So art was like artists were a huge part of our friends and yeah. and Boston fans too, like graffiti writers and yeah. you know all kinds of are people. All the, are um, those all the people you had in the Stompbox video? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I can tell. I mean, it's not one hundred percent. I can tell. I could totally yeah, tell. Like, those, I could tell that everybody that was in that video was like, "Those are my dudes." Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's that's what that video was. They were all our friends, and like I say, most of them were in art school or had <laughs> recently gotten out, and yeah. um, you know. But um, but again, like I don't know, like working at Blue Man, I don't know, it's just different. Yeah. Anyway, so you know, I played that show, the Boston show for a couple of years and then I uh, moved to New York yeah, and yeah. I, you know, started directing and writing for them, writing music. And then, oh, shit. like I said, I worked for them for 20 years. So, I mean, geez, it, the show that that gig took me around the world. Like I, and that was when I got the real experience of touring too. I did a number of tours with them in buses, playing yeah. arenas, playing sheds. Yeah. Um, playing big shows, festivals. I mean, and that was like super fun. Like having done some smaller things with Stompbox and like, you know, getting a taste of it. But yeah. then like, I, I mean, for instance, like one of the best ones I played with in Tokyo called the Summer Sonic Festival. And uh, we were, so they, it was one of these festivals that had multiple stages. Yeah. And for some reason, they never knew what to do with Blue Man Group. We managed to get on those shows. Like we played Coachella too, but yeah. they never really knew who to put us with because <laughs> um, it was still theatrical and it was yeah. still rock, but not, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so like, for instance, when we played Coachella, we played on the stage uh, that Interpol played on, like we played right before Interpol. Oh shit. Um, and uh, when we played summer song festival, we were on the metal stage. So we played That's... two nights. The first <laughs> night we, we played right before suicidal tendencies. What? And the second night we played right before motorhead. Oh my and God. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm, you know, finally playing with Motorhead on right. a bill, you know, even though it wasn't like my band necessarily, but still it was like a dream come true. Um, That's crazy how, yeah, how was, that works out. It's really cool. It's, it's, yeah. it's really. It, well, I think really ultimately, you know, I mean, I, I've had a lot of great, great luck, um, but also, yeah. Yeah. you know, I mean, kind of stuck in my guns. Like I definitely could have given up. Yeah. And, you know, gone and driven a bus or something like that. You know, like there would have been a lot of easy ways out yeah. um, in those times when I was feeling not so confident about where I was yeah. in terms of, you know, life and career and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I don't mean to sound like I'm bragging about it, but I just, no, it's you know, not a brag at all. It's, you know, it's just one of those things. It's just kind of like, you know, I didn't know that I had the. Uh, you know, the motivation to try to start over with a rock band, right. but I knew I wanted to do something musical and I'm just glad that, you know, just kept good relationships with people and then it worked out to get a great gig like that, you know. Oh um, no, you wrote some pretty good licks. I think you could do a band. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not well, trying to pressure you, but you might come up with something pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well that's you know i mean i still make music now for a living so i stopped working for blue man yeah. right before the pandemic yeah, yeah and now i am working um with a buddy of mine uh who from the boston music scene actually cool. i don't know if you knew the band tree 
Um, I, yes, but they were, that sounds familiar. They were a hardcore band, uh, environmental hardcore that Stompbox played with a lot. We were like, you know, I don't know, we, we toured together. We just loved those guys so yeah. much and tried to do as much with them as we could. Um, so we did a, uh, Stompbox did a reunion last year and reconnected was, with you the guys, three guys. You guys played with Sam Black Church, I saw. Yes, that's right. Yep. Holy mm-hmm. shit, I love that band. Yeah, great great guys too. And also yeah. played with them a million times back in the day, and it was really cool to see and play with them again. Because I haven't seen them now in yeah 20 plus years. Wow. Um, and any of them, so it was really cool to connect with them. And they sound as great as ever. I mean, that's a funny thing, you know, like I, I remember... When I was a younger man, I feel like I would go see shows of bands that were getting older. Yeah. And it just, you could tell right away, like, oh, well, they definitely don't have the fire they used to have. Yeah. I don't know if our lifestyles are better, if the food's better, the vitamins or what. But, you know, <laughs> I feel like, I don't know. I mean, it was hard. Yeah. I, I got to say, like, for Stompbox, for us. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak for the other guys, but, like, <laughs> I felt like a truck ran over me after playing those shows. But oh, man. Nonetheless, I, I yeah. thought we sounded pretty good, you know? Yeah. Um, and I thought Sam Black and Tree, everybody that played those shows, <laughs> who were all reunited after 25 years or whatever, they all sounded, I thought, just as good as back in the day. Better, maybe. I think, you know, I think, you're like, I think the fact that all these people wiser. probably stop drinking and probably work out all the time now because, like... <laughs> Everybody I've interviewed that's older than me that are in punk rock bands and stuff, like, like, <laughs> dude, like, you know, all these guys are fit and, like, you know, they're in their almost 60s now and, like, everybody's in good health. Like, I, I don't remember musicians back in the day being, you know, like, everybody's, like, it's, it, nowadays it's, the whole music scene is, like, you know, you have all these bands that are coming back out now, like the old punk bands, like TSOL, DOA, Field Day, yeah. you know, all these bands touring, like, and they're out there doing their shit. And it's like, it's crazy to see that, like, these dudes that, like, when I was, I'm 51, so, like, when I was, like, 12 or 13 getting into these bands, they're still doing this shit. You know, yeah, like, still it, doing it and still and still killing it too. Yeah. Like you said, like, and even even maybe a little better in some ways. Yeah. You know? I mean, I yeah, I was blown away. Uh, went to see Off. Uh, oh, nice. Ago, and and Keith Morris, man, again, like just like you're saying, like I I was expecting him to not be so great, and completely blew my mind. Yeah. Similarly, uh, this is going back a little ways now, so I don't know how they sound now, but I remember. Um, and I was doing, we were opening a Blue Man show in Toronto, um, and we saw Gang of Four. Oh. Um, and uh, that, like, the same thing. Like, I was expecting them to be old and just stand there. Because I had seen bands from their era that were like yeah. that. Like, I remember seeing, I remember seeing the Stranglers, and yeah, yeah. they were kind of like, eh, not, not quite like what they might have been <laughs> 20 years ago. Right. But Gang of Four, man, that was, like, ferocious. Totally blew my, my mind. Bands. It was yeah, really inspiring. Um, well, this so, is, you're my second interview yeah. tonight. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes. Sorry. No, it's <laughs> awesome. This going. is a present for me. Are you kidding? I spoke uh, to, cool. uh, I interviewed Dave Carrion from Field Day earlier and the, nice. the Descendants and stuff. And uh, 
he brought up we were talking about gang of four like it's funny oh uh... it's it's yeah it's it's an amazing it's so funny even the generational like you guys came out in the 90s right like these guys came out in the early 80s Everybody's talking about Gang of Four. Everybody's talking about Kiss. Everybody's talking about Black Sabbath. Everybody's talking about The Clash. All the, you know, like every all these these separate generations, and the connection is so insane to me because it all seems derived, of course, from rock and roll. That everybody ended up creating what they're what they ended up creating. Like it went from, you know, Iron Maiden. ACDC, Van Halen, you know, to freaking The Clash, and then the you know, and the Ramones were in there, and then you had your your New York bands, and it's like, and then all this other stuff came on, but we're it's all connected. It, yeah, all, and, and it you realize there's like a, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a few archetypes along the way too. Descendants were certainly one of them. Oh I gotta my gosh, say, I mean, you know. Um, but yeah, there, there's always a few like gang of four or like, you know, that you just, they're just undeniable. You know what I mean? Like as soon as you hear them, it's a life changing thing. And you know, um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. What can you say? I mean, that's, it's so great that those guys, people are still able to do it and still, you know, still out doing it. It's incredible. I mean, I, I, I hope, I hope. I can be so lucky. Yes. Um, and, sure. uh, you know, so, I mean, I guess, you know, on that note, um, you know, so stop, the Stopbox reunion was really the first time that we had, you know, really been in contact with each other since those days, you know, oh, cause wow. it, when the whole thing ended, I continued to play music with Zeph, the drummer, Right. Um, a whole variety of different things, including some heavy bands um, that I'm really proud of. Like we were in a band for a little while in Boston called Milligram. Okay. That, uh, Check it out, folks. I I, I won a plug. I mean, they put out uh, an EP before I was in the band. I play bass in that band. Okay. Um, but uh, then we put out a full length, and it's still to this day one of the things I'm most proud of. Okay. Um, and you know, it was like a sort of a Boston metal super group that we had okay. um, guitar players, this guy named Daryl Shepard, who uh, has been in geez, a million hard rock bands <laughs> in Boston and a lot of stoner rock stuff yeah. like road saw. He's got, he's got his own things. Um, and then the singer Jonah Jenkins, I think the biggest thing he was in was uh, only living witness. I don't know if you know them, from, okay. uh, but he's also a New Hampshire guy too. Nice. Anyway, um, Steph and I played in a lot of other fun things and weird pop and art rock things and had always kept in touch. But the other two guys we had not been in touch with, they both moved away. And, uh, like, uh, Eric Singer moved to L.A. And, okay. you know, I mean, first one that kind of we ousted from the band. So, like, we weren't really on good terms with them for many years. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's wild. Like, you know we got back together to do this reunion and have decided like, Hey, why don't we see if we can continue this on? So we're going to see what happens. We're, you know, we're all still living scattered around the country, but you know, it's this We've modern got age. The internet we can... now. <laughs> exactly. We can collaborate on music. You can <laughs> zoom easy, that shit. You know? 
Yeah, I mean, I, we're not quite to that level. I will be. It'll be amazing when we get to that level. Right. I, personally, if we could actually play together in real time. But no, we all have. You know, like everybody, we all have computers and we can record yeah. music onto them. So yeah, so we're working on new music. So we'll awesome. see what happens. I, I can't. I'm looking forward to it, and you guys should do it. Please, <laughs> please. Yeah. No, we're, love... we're trying. Yeah, man. Uh, so let's finish this off with what you're doing now. Like what, what are you up to now? Yes. There's that. I mean, you know, the Stompbox songs are being written and then for my day gig. Oh, well, that's why I started to talk about. So I reconnected with that guy from tree named Brian Hinckley. He's a guitarist in that band. And, um, he has a, uh, a company that he started uh, a while back that, um, makes music uh, and licenses music for use in uh, ads and film and TV. Okay. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I just got talking to him and, um, you know, like the time was right. I had, like I said, I'd left Blue Man and mm. was looking for something new and I wanted to do something musical and it was like a perfect fit. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I still have that luxury of, making music uh, almost daily awesome. um, while uh, and the company, I mean, he's doing great things because uh, what's the name of the you know, company? Basically the company's called gratitude sound. Yeah. And he, you know, represents a whole bunch of uh, Boston, New England based artists, although not exclusively New England based, but right. um, you know, in addition to, having a roster of composers as well oh wow um and yeah just uh getting music on on tv and and the internet in various ways and it's it's super fun um i love it uh especially what i love and what i love it's it's similar to what i love about blue man you know because even though blue man like at its core was the show yeah and the music that goes with the show still like being part of the musical team was like the most fun job because you know you'd get these weird requests you know like sometimes they would uh (laughs) write a bit that needed some musical score that like wasn't the kind of music the blue man would play be almost like a a uh satirical thing you know what i mean so like okay we're gonna make this funny commercial and we need you to make you know music that sounds classical or we need to make something that sounds like a reggaeton song or whatever you know what i mean um so that's what kept it really interesting was like, oh, okay. So today I got to write music for harp. You know what I mean? Or right. I need to like <laughs> right. bring in a horn section and write a big band piece. You know right. what I mean? Like, uh, and so I always love that about that. And this gig is like that too, because, you know, I mean, sometimes we're just writing music for our own sake and throwing it up on the library to see if anybody wants to use it. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, if you have, I don't know, Toyota comes to you and, you know, they're, you know, they're at, well, the ad agency that's working for Toyota is like, you know, they have a certain piece of music in mind that they either want to get the license to. So we have to hunt down who owns the publishing and, you know, figure out how much money they want and see if we can make it work. Like this, but not this. Can you give us some things that are in that vein? And yeah, it's, 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 it's really, it's really fun. I love it. So that's pretty much it, and uh, you know, raising a family. 
Yeah, man. Um, pandemic. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's uh, it sounds like it's been kind of a ride for you, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, like, yeah. It's from from your grandparents, you know, like playing music and you picking up a guitar and then how everything has progressed. I, it sounds like one of those things that you were just uh, univers universally destined to do. Uh, and I, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm sticking to my guns. That's, yeah. <laughs> but I've been definitely super fortunate yeah, and, man. um, you know, but it's been good. Yeah. yeah man. I cannot complain. That's awesome. And you know what, Jeff, I'm not going to take any more of your time up, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a great pleasure. Um, uh, again, like, Man, work on that st new stomp box. I'd be really curious to what you guys would pull, would do. You know, like I'm really curious. But uh, no, yeah, it's well. That is the interesting thing. Now, you know, 30 years later, you know, because uh, we're definitely different people. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I think what we're making. Sounds like Stompbox. It's hard not to sound like ourselves, but I'm sure it's going to be. It's definitely going to be different um, than what people expect. Yeah, but you know, we never had that chance to make the second record. I'm sure the second record, if we had made it in 1996, would also have been pretty different. So yeah, you know. So, um, but, uh, but hey, man, yeah. I, I really appreciate the kind words. I, you know, yeah. it, it really means a lot, especially you know, for for that. You know, for that project, something that like happened a long time ago, to know that anybody even still remembers it, let alone cares about it, like it really means a lot to be, you know, to be real. Like I, I super appreciate it. Yeah, man. I mean, like that's you know, I'm a I'm a punk rock kid from Florida, and music saved my life, and I have an appreciation for all like a lot of music, and I've always been. Um, my motivation has always been music every morning while I'm at work for the first two hours before anyone gets there. I'm constantly listening to you guys, freaking quicksand, you know, new stuff, old stuff. You know, like I use all of this music that I grew up with to motivate my day. And uh, you guys have created a special part in that in my life for that. And I appreciate it. Um, I appreciate the Blue Man Group as well because I've seen that show and it's awesome. And uh, and uh, and what you got going on now sounds amazing. Um, is there anything you would like to share with anybody before we leave? Like any stuff you want to throw out there that's coming up or you want to share with anybody? Uh, not really. I mean, I just you know, again, thank you. I, I really appreciate words and and that it still means something to you what we did yeah. um and uh yep hopefully we'll have more and keep doing what you're doing i appreciate and, it uh, yeah again thank you so much yeah man i'll send you the link once i uh, post it and just uh slam it out to everyone you know and just tell them you were talking to some floor idiot about music <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome all right dude uh, I appreciate it. All right, you. Jason. Thanks, brother. Yeah, have a great night. Take care. I'll be in touch. Bye. Peace. All right, folks. 
That was Jeff Turlick from Stompbox. Thank you so much for listening. Have a good night.